Welcome to another episode of the Daddy Unscripted Podcast, part of Osiris Media. This is an episode of the We're Here Alone Together section of the podcast. My name is Tim Wheaton, and I am your host. That is another one of the things in the long list of me having to get my wife to watch something. And then she absolutely loves it when she finally gives in. Does she like period pieces? Not like menstrual, like actual points in time. <laughs> um, yeah, she really loved um, blood sport. Um, <laughs> she also loved uh, Aunt Flo's visit, part three. This time it's personal in 3D. Um, <laughs> Not in 3D, please. Yep, that is going to be the intro uh, section of this podcast episode. Okay, sounds good. Okay, and I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say it here. The rest of this episode is not exactly like that, but continue to listen. Yeah, you should keep listening. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm kind of giggling because I did just listen to the section that I put on there, and this episode is kind of that. Brett, when you go to a wine tasting and they give you something to eat between glasses of wine that you're tasting, I'm not going to look for an analogy. I'll just say it this way. This conversation between myself and Jess Rosado is very different from the last two episodes that you may have listened to that you should have listened to with Rebecca and myself. These are, there's a lot of laughing going on in these episodes. There's a lot of uh, just kind of funny moments because we have been very close for so many years and we have a lot, we tried to not go into a bunch of inside jokes. I think we did really well at that uh, to not make it strange for all of you. Let me do really quickly just the business side of this to remind you that Daddy Unscripted is extremely proud to be a member of Osiris Media. Osiris Media is dedicated to putting out fantastic podcasts for you that center around music and culture. You should check out OsirisPod.com to find many other awesome podcasts just like this one that I will let them tell you a little bit about themselves. Punk rock is sound. It was done with drugs, attitude, youth, and a record collection. Punk rock is fashion. Me in fashion at the time knew fully well that if I had an idea, the way for that idea to work would be to channel it through music. Punk rock is attitude. I'm Kevin Hogan, and this is Beautiful Garbage, a limited series from Osiris Media that tells the story of how America unleashed punk rock on the world. When I was 10 years old, I bought an album at a flea market because the guy's name was Hell. I thought it would be heavy metal, ACDC, Judas Priest. It was far from that, and it set me on a 40-year journey discovering punk rock. And this is what I've learned. Over six episodes will trace how social and economic factors provided a catalyst for what would become feared and revered as music that is subversive and dangerous. Music that is beautiful garbage. Coming April 20th from Osiris Media. 
Available at OsirisPod.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Side note that Osiris Media is proud to be partnered with Jambase. Go to jambase.com to find out now as things are really starting to finally happen in many areas where concerts are starting to actually become a conversation piece built in reality and some kind of situation, how places and bands are going to be able to make this happen. So go to jambase.com to keep track of that and keep your fingertip on whatever band it is that you want to check out and see how they are doing live music. If you go to my website, to Daddy Unscripted, you'll see with my blog post that goes along with this, with all of the words that I'm writing, there are a lot of photos of and between the two of us that have been composed during many years of our friendship together and the couple few times that we have actually been able to be in the same place at once because she's an East Coaster, I'm a West Coaster, we both have families, we don't get to hang out all the time or anything, but the times that we've had to be able to spend together, we have made the most of, i.e. just doing the makeup for... Stefan Lassard during a photo shoot that I did with and of him uh, during one of Dave Matthews band caravan festivals. We didn't even tell that story. It's such a great story. That's fairly surreal feeling. And I think especially for Jess, she is a humongous David Gray fan. And I was set to do this photo shoot with Stefan on the final day of the caravan tour in in their stop in Atlantic City. And Stefan wanted to do something a little bit different and wanted to actually have like makeup done for the shoot instead of just going completely au natural, which we did in our other shoot that we did at the Gorge later on that year. But for this one, he wanted to go a little bit different, do something a little bit odd and not his norm. And so Jess, knowing that she was tagging along with me for the festival for that stop, he said, can she do makeup? And I said, hell yes, she can. (laughs) And so Jess came along and we went to the House of Blues there on the boardwalk in Atlantic City. And we went into, gosh, I can't remember what the name of those rooms are that are like specialty rooms. But we went into one of them. We were able to go during the daytime when it was closed. And we did a whole photo shoot. Jess was there helping me out, etc. And she really wanted to get back. It was it was a pressure cooker because David Gray was playing that day on the stage. Knowing this, we kind of kept looking at the time and eventually I just said, hey, is it is it cool if Jess leaves? She really wants to get back there and see David Gray and Stefan and his people that were there were like, yeah, for sure, we can make that happen. So she ended up, I think, getting on a bus with some of the people that were there already so that they could walk her in and get her all set up. And she ended up getting there late for David Gray's set, but they walked her right up to side stage. So she was there in the wings watching David Gray for however many songs of his that she got to catch. 
And it was just amazing um, experience for her, even though she was bummed to kind of miss some of it for her to be able to be right there on the stage was really cool. And it's really kind of tongue in cheek, but I have this one photo that I'm going to post on the blog post that I took while I was side stage during Dave's set because I got Jess right up front in the main photographer area, right in front of the stage for the first like three songs of the Dave Matthews band set. And she was there taking photographs, whatnot. And when she started walking out, it was really funny. And he may have, it may be completely false, but it did look like, and I was on, if you're looking at the stage, I was on stage left on the side taking photos and it looked like he was watching her walk away. And that means absolutely nothing, but we were making a big joke about it and exaggerating it and saying, Oh, he was watching you walk out. And I took this one picture and I put an arrow like pointing from Dave to Jess and posted that like saying, see, you can see that he's was watching you. And so I'm in, I included that on my website so you can see that goofy photo and some of the things that we've done during the times that we met because we liked doing flying high fives and just a bunch of general tomfoolery. But anyways, this episode, we kind of go through a lot of conversations about parenthood, about uh, Jess, who is in her second marriage and has two kids from her first marriage that are now teenagers. And just talking about that kind of dynamic with her husband, Jose, who has been on my podcast twice now, and you should go back and find those episodes. Originally, he was on episode seven, and then episode 10 was the second half of our conversation. And then all the way fast forward to episode 82, not that long ago, he was actually the first of this side series of the what part of Daddy Unscripted, which stands for We're Here Alone Together. So it's only appropriate that I did one with his wife, with Jess. Actually, before I say with no further ado, let me say right here, Jess Rosato, her newest project is her blog called Odd Bird Out. So make sure you go to oddbirdout.com even while we're talking or pause this and go and check it out. This is the week that she just released her latest post on there that is incredibly deep, personal, touching, moving, like a really, really important writing that delves deep into something that so many people have to go through. So I really want you guys to support her as well as go and read these things at oddbirdout.com. Okay, now, with no further ado, let's get to my conversation with Jess. All right, we are here today on another episode of... who. This is kind of a mix between We Are Here Alone Together, Who Tells Your Story, Not Really Daddy Unscripted, so it's hitting two of the three can also be like, we're here alone with your daddy. Oh, God. No, that's, that's <laughs> a whole different uh, podcast that never got made because no, like it shouldn't. A, it just yeah, shouldn't. a battering ram came through the door immediately when whoever was recording that started and they got him shut down. So yeah. thank God for FCC. Thank but, God. 
I am here today with Jess Rosado, who has not officially been on the show yet, but her husband, Jose, has been on three episodes. So the Rosado name is now ruling like the upper class level of people on the podcast. So well done on making that happen for the uh, fourth episode. Welcome. Long live. Yeah. The crowd, the crowd in an actual stadium. Yeah. Yes. Now it's kind of like, yeah. <laughs> if anybody <laughs> could actually hear that, <laughs> um, Jess and I have been friends since what? What is it like? Oh six, oh five. I want to say oh five. Yeah. yeah, because that's the year that my son was born. Oh, that is crazy. Yeah. So. Jess and I have known each other since then from days of Flickr, which currently is becoming a trend. Yeah, still exists. I actually, um, because of a recent guest that I had on, I went and does your original uh, account still there? Yeah, my original is still there. So about, I want to say 2012-ish, I was on Flickr for, she's a whiz. I mean, early 2000s, you know, hmm. uh, about 2012, all the stuff that I had on there, I was focusing on like a different path in my photography at that point. And I was focusing on weddings and editorial and stuff like that. For whatever reason, I didn't want all of my creative self-portraits out there anymore. I wanted to be known for my work, not my self-portraits. So mm-hmm. I took the time and I went through and I basically hid everything that I had ever taken on there. Oh boy. And it's still there. It's just not for public view. Like I have it hidden and I only have a very select few of some of my like portrait work that I did that I have public, but really I use it now because I try to do like a throwback Thursday every now and then. And if I'm looking for something specific, I'll go on, on Flickr and I'll just download it again. Cause I have so many old computers and they're scattered, you know? So that's a nice central place that I can just go and be like, Oh, I bet you that photo exists on Flickr still and I can just go download it and post it. So were you, did you do the 365 project? I think I did it twice. And then I also did a project, which was life after 365, where I was still Mm. kind of in the process of doing them, but I wasn't, I didn't want to be as regimented to having to do one every day. I could have done like a 52 sort of thing, you know, but I just called it life after 365 and whatever I felt like posting, I did. It wasn't as curated as the 365s were, but yeah, they were, they're on there. Um, Again, I don't think they're public view, but they still exist. For those of you who need this breakdown. So this is back in 0506 when people did there was no iPhone. Um, people were not regularly taking selfies at all. And there was this group on Flickr that was self-portrait a day for an entire year straight. And you there was you know there was set out rules which not everybody followed of course but you were not supposed to let somebody else take the photo. It was supposed to be self-portrait, so either via timer and tripod or however you worked that out. And it was all range. I think the very first group that did it, towards the end, it started to get a lot more creative for people. And I think the kind of third round that took on, like there were some people that were getting (laughs) insane with what they were doing. I mean, 
there's still some people now. I, I can't. I'm really bad with names. There's a guy from Canada who started out essentially around the same time as we did, and he was on Flickr, and he is now just world famous for doing that. Mm. A lot of it wound up becoming like photo manipulation. It wasn't just creative self-portraits. Right. This, this was people were starting to explore what you could do with Photoshop aside from retouching skin, you know, like yeah. you could do massive photo manipulations. It was a really fun time. I mean, yeah. there were a lot of us in that period of time that became known for our work that we did on Flickr. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. Like actually there was a time where I can't remember where I was, but I, I think maybe shooting weddings or something like that. And there were actually people who would come up to me and know my username on Flickr and call me yeah, by that. That's crazy, right? That was weird. I mean, I I know I look a lot, you know, really famous and <laughs> I'm used to people coming up to me in the grocery store and trying to accost me and, you know, take their You're like, picture no pictures, please, no pictures, please, yeah, no pictures. Yeah. yeah. But actually it was it was really kind of kooky like having people walk up to me and say, aren't you so-and-so? Yeah. So that was my dalliance of 15 not, seconds. Seconds of fame. Of fame. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Weird times, um, though. I garnered so many friends. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. So many friends during that period of time from all over the world. I have so many friends from the UK and Wales. There are just so many people that not all of them were all different countries. I mean, it was just all over the world. Yeah. And, you know, some of them having children about the same age as me and dealing with the same sort of struggles. I mean, mothers and fathers and just creatives. And it was a really great community. And I loved it. And and that's one of the big things, too, is it was pre-Instagram, yep. pre-Facebook. I mean, unless you were in college, there was no Facebook. There was nothing like that. You were in MySpace days still. Yeah. But MySpace wasn't really focused on like community. It wasn't really like yeah. that. Or creativity, really. It was. Well, there was some creativity when you were putting up sparkly gifts and stuff like that on people's pages. Guilty. And Guilty. What, was the, what was the song that you wanted to play and slow down everybody's computer and ability uh -huh. to load your page? Uh -huh. Uh -huh. That was uh -huh. a fun little. Java. <laughs> Gotta love it. Yeah. Um, but so it was kind of one of the first things that was like that. And it was extremely like there were so many different groups and people would create, you know, mom groups on there and photo different photography style groups and whatever. Mm -hmm. And it was cool. It was a part of the internet that a lot of people hadn't and social media that a lot of people hadn't really embarked on yet. We've been around through all of those things, <laughs> the introduction of the computer, the introduction of the internet. I'm not going to date us, but we've been there through a lot yeah. of stuff, you know, and yeah, we'll fire this is the wheel yes <laughs> indoor plumbing um yeah. but the community that we had then it was before realizing that you know i think a lot of us i mean very very large portion of us didn't realize how marketable the internet or these sort of groups or you know having this it was like going to art school without having to go to art school. You were getting personal critiques every single day. Mm -hmm. And people would give you very like heartfelt critiques of the work. You know, um, maybe you should try this. Maybe you should try that. You know, I never felt it to be a derogatory space. It was just really supportive yeah. and I loved it. And being able to look at like people from a very high professional range and unless they 
hid it, which a lot of people weren't doing early on, you could look at their exif data from their mm-hmm. fo- from their camp from their phones uh, from their camera and see how they were shooting that. Like, see oh, this guy's using yeah. this lens, and yeah, I mean, which I definitely did. You know, I, if I was curious oh, about totally. a photo, like how, what, you know, I would yeah. definitely click on that data and and look yeah. at that. And then people got wise and they started hiding it. Christmas was really hard this year. Mm-hmm. It was just, it wasn't even so much COVID. It was just, it was me. I was going through a lot on a personal level. It didn't have anything to do with, you know, it being 2020. I decorated early this year because I thought, there was like some study that showed that, you know, people that decorate earlier are happier. And I was like, mm-hmm, okay. I mean, I like lights. Twinkle lights, they're fun, right? They make you happy inside. Yeah, totally. So I thought the logic in this was sound. So I went ahead and I put up my tree early. I think I put it up the day after Thanksgiving. I put my tree up and I put lights on it only. No, no ornaments, none of that nonsense, mm-hmm. you know, just lights. And it was nice to sit on my chair and have a bourbon and I would play some records on the record player and listen to some jazz and just enjoy the twinkling lights. And that did make me happy. And then the actual onset of the holidays started where we had presents and shopping and humans that I had to be around and all that kind of stuff. And my kids are getting older. They just think everything is stupid. You know, they want money and like what? (laughs) This is not fun for me. Not that Christmas is about me, but it is about me. Yes. Well, and also that goes into the giving, like the true nature of the giving of Christmas and how much joy you're supposed to get out of that. And when you give money, you get nothing from it. I was a total miser this Christmas. I mean, I found ways to, you know, gift uniquely. And that's really like one of my love languages. I love giving giving people gifts and Mm -hmm. tailoring it to them. And, you know, I I want it to be special and I want it to be meaningful. And for me to give money is just, it takes, it takes that spirit out of it for me, you know, takes that Christmas spirit out of it. And especially when my kids, like I do everything, like my entire world revolves around my kids. So my kids are just like, eh, I'll take some steam gift cards and some money. And I'm like, you're a garbage human. That's (laughs) how I feel about them sometimes. (laughs) Uh, but i love them i love them so much (laughs) my kids haven't really gotten into that yet i just think they're not old enough you're so lucky my eight-year-old the boy is kind of starting to get into that because he's now getting a lot of the no we're not buying you that ridiculous thousand plus piece lego set because it costs Mm. 129 dollars plus like we're just not doing that so he's starting to get the okay they won't go above this level Mm. i need to start making money so that i can buy that so is it like the whole like what chores can i do we've gotten a little bit of that yeah which I, i don't know if I've thought about this. I'm I'm not comfortable even with my daughter doing the dishes who's 12 now, but I just feel like she will, it will just be a smattering of ceramic um, shards in the sink when she's done. But I was thinking it's really weird because I started doing dishes in my family when I was probably seven, maybe even six. I think that's my kids. Yeah. 
I mean, they weren't like washing, hand washing. We have a dishwasher. So they were just like kind of cleaning them off and loading them. Mm-hmm. And that, that's, you know, and then they toggle. It's every other day for them. And do they get, this is, this is where we're getting into the parenting stuff. Do they get an allowance? No, their, their allowance is being able to live here. <laughs> I didn't know the word here was coming at the end of that. And it was going to be funny either way. Live, live here, whatever. Yeah. Um, no, it is something. So we have sort of like a basic chore chart, which I made a few years ago which hangs at the top of our basement steps. And I, you know, I gave my son more because he is the older one, you know? Mm -hmm. So in the beginning, he had a few more chores than my daughter did. He was two years younger. But now they're getting to the point where they want stuff all the time and sort of to an equal level, you know, because when you have an almost 14-year-old girl and an almost 16-year-old boy, they're, you know, like, as far as their wants are concerned, like, a 13, 14 year old girl wants a lot of things. My 15 mm-hmm. soon to be 16 year old son's like, eh, whatever. Like, I guess I need pants. These are 10, 12, you know, like he's just not mm-hmm. in that brain space. Yeah. Um, but because they're wanting things on an equal level, it's like, well, let's keep the chores even. And if you do anything over this, you know, like if you go out of your way to do something for me, for this household, I will consider paying you for it so we had a really bad snowstorm a couple of weeks ago a lot of ice a lot of ice my husband and i both have bad backs so i asked my son like hey do you want to make 20 bucks like go just i need you to just you know shovel around the cars throw down some salt take you an hour probably we don't have like a huge driveway Mm -hmm. it's a little parking pad and he was like eh he just wasn't interested, you know? Mm. So I was like, okay. Yeah, I was offering you money. He just didn't want to do anything physical. He's yeah. a total gamer. He would rather just sit on his butt all day. That's it. Mm-hmm. So I asked my daughter and she was like, yeah, I'll do it. You know, so she went out for like an hour or two and sweat her butt off. And I gave her $30 versus 20 because, you know, she was ready, willing, and able. She didn't complain about it. She just went and did it. And I was like, she earned that extra 10 bucks, you know? Yeah. So, no, we don't do an allowance because I, the way I looked at it was, you're part of this family. You need to contribute to the family mm-hmm. and you shouldn't be pat on the back for contributing to your family. That's just always kind of been my, I don't know. I like it. We, I, I never really got one as a kid. We've done a couple of things with our kids. We tried to inspire them to greatness when they were younger and um, we did like happy beads is what we called it. And we had like these colorful round beads and we had a jar that my wife put like a piece of paper inside that said happy jar, I think, or something like that. And you would get a happy bead. Like if you were, if you had a good attitude all day and if you were cool, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, And there would be times where we would say like, if you do this, you'll, I'll give you two happy beads. And so it, it just like an incentive. Yeah. 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 And if you had a certain number, I can't, I honestly don't even remember what we did. We would, it wasn't like money cause they were, they were a bunch younger. I think it was like privileges and stuff like that. Like mm-hmm. you can wear clothes to school this week or something like that. Um, maybe we'll let you shower this week. <laughs> um, 
But no, just kidding. But we we never really did an allowance. And like I kind of started off, we never really have gone the chore route. And my son will ask for a quarter now. Um, He'll want to do stuff and get a quarter. And to me, like that's so minimal that I'll usually agree unless it's like, you know, he'll say, can I clean my room and get a quarter for it? And there's like, a book on the floor or something <laughs> like that. I'll say no. That's not He's working the system. Yeah. Yeah. But like there have been things that I've said, go and do this and you'll get a quarter. I tried to give him and um since my wife is hearing this, she'll now be alerted to this little bribery that I tried to do because I told him it's a secret. <laughs> Don't tell anybody. <laughs> Just between me and you. Um because he will get into music like He just wants to listen to one thing forever. So it will be Queen. You can only listen to Queen on the way to school when you're taking him to school every day for, I mean, we did one school year where almost an entire school year we had to listen to Queen on the way, which is cool. Like, good choice, buddy. But I like your kid. Yeah. He's a good kid. Um, And then it became after Hamilton came out, it became Hamilton. So it just. What is that, like 12 songs? You know? No, there's like 40-something songs in it. Is there? Yeah. Jeez, have you seen Hamilton? I have. Okay. Yeah, yeah there's a lot. Of, I mean, that. okay, the soundtrack is, you know, it's big. It's two parts. Yeah. I thought it was only like a normal CD. Okay. No, it's like 45 or something tracks total or something like that. Because everything's wow. a song. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I said, after we went through that whole thing, I said, okay, if for one month you listen to Prince every day on the way to school, <laughs> I see what you did. I will give you twenty bucks. Wow! He, didn't, he, did he not couldn't do it. it. Couldn't oh. do it. He was dreading it. Like you know, I said we'll start November first or something, and October like twenty eighth comes around, and he's like, I, I I don't know if I can do it. I'm like <laughs> it's a it's a. <laughs> Eight minutes. I love that he was like, Dad, I love you, but yeah, we're gonna have a talk about this. I don't know that I can do Prince all month. I'm sorry. So and then I then I made it okay, how about it won't be Prince every day, but it will be my choice all month. So Prince a bunch of days Mm. and then some other stuff. Nope. No. No go. No. So Mm -hmm. he does have his limits to like the easiest money you could possibly get. He's like, no, this is non-negotiable. Yeah. I can't do this. I'm sorry. Yeah. 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 I mean, I applaud him for knowing what he likes. Yeah. If anything else. It's obviously crap, but. <laughs> His opinion is crap. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. So that's that's interesting because I, I'm always curious about what different people do as far as allowance and chores and whatever. And we we do need to start getting on, getting them involved because they don't really do much and they the willingness is there. Yeah. I mean, if you if you are now at the stage where how old is your oldest? 12. 12, yeah. I mean, I don't feel like that's too late for her to be like, "Okay, you have chores all of a sudden." You know what I mean? Yeah. Without incentivizing, I feel like that's still an okay age. I also think it depends on the kid. Every kid is unique in what they will accept and not kind of like stomp their feet to, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we started ours a lot younger. So we just sort of set that precedent early. So they know now, like, it's not a matter of incentivizing. It is a matter of 
you don't do this, you get something taken away. Mm. Do you know what I'm saying? So that's how we have set it up thus far. I am fine with doing something like an allowance. I would like to get to that point. The problem is we still struggle with getting them to do their regular chores Mm -hmm. as they should. I've openly laughed with my wife when we've seen it and talked with a lot of other people when the guy is at home with the kids and posts something on social media uh-huh. and everybody like gives them all the accolades. Oh my God, you're such an amazing oh. dad. I can't believe and you're like, what? <laughs> wow. You're really, why is this person getting a pat on the back? I don't, I, and I've never understood that. Like, yeah. you know, loving and caring for my children is just part of being a mother, loving and caring for your children and taking care of them and spending time with them and watching them and having one-on-one time with them is part of being a father. You don't get a pat on the back for that. You know, like it just, that's just, yeah. yeah. So, and I, I take that same idea concept with my children. Like mm-hmm. you're going to contribute to this household because you are a member of this household. I'm not going to pat you on the back for that. However, if you go above and beyond and you do the dishes that day and the trash that day and you vacuum, because that's on your chore chart, right? That's what's expected of you to make this machine run properly. And then you ask me at dinner time, hey, mom, can I help you make dinner? Or can I help you do this? Or can I go grocery shopping with you to make it a little easier? Like if you offer things above and beyond, yeah, I'll give you five bucks. Let's go back from you doing chores as a kid and talking about you're being homeschooled Mm. and your dad working a bunch of jobs as you are homeschooling your kids Mm. in a way that is different from the way you were homeschooled. How do you come away from your homeschooling experience? Because it was so different when you were getting home. I've got friends who are truly homeschooling there they have been doing it pre-covid and Mm. they are continuing to do it and it's very different because there's actually like communities that they're able to join with you know there will be like a homeschooling of this region or whatever and they will Mm. actually have sports and stuff like that as opposed to friends of mine when i was a kid who were doing homeschooling who are my age who they had nothing like they were it was almost I I always felt really badly for them because and I'm not pushing this on you I'm judging these other people because you're about to tell me what your experience is and then you'll probably make it so I am judging you but my friend who was a year younger than me he was just so closeted socially And he started going to my very small private school. So I can only imagine what it may have been like if he had gone to a public school. But he started going to my school in his sophomore or junior year. And you could just see his brain exploding. Yeah, He had a lot of catching up and figuring out to do on the fly of how to 
interact with so many people and yeah. you could see him crashing and burning a lot with it. Whereas now I know it's a very different situation because kids have other kids that they're able to deal with. But how was that for you when you were doing homeschooling back in the nineties, the dark ages? I mean, the nineties. <laughs> Same difference, right? Um, so my homeschooling experience was purely born out of the fact that we just didn't live in a very good area of mm. Baltimore city. And they were doing an experimental curriculum this year that I had actually graduated fifth grade. I went to elementary school, normal, you know, schooling and public school. I've never been in private school again with, you know, our, our family having one income and three children, like, you know, those sort of extra expenses were just not there. So I went to public school for elementary school. And then I said they introduced this new curriculum that they were trying. And I vaguely remember it myself. A lot of it, I remember just my mother kind of recounting this the period of time in our lives um, where I'm going into sixth grade. Um, I was always a very timid kid. I was always a very... I was very shy. I was always very anxious. I always had a lot of stomach problems. You know what I mean? Like I kind of held all my anxiety in, in my stomach and I would even be so shy that I couldn't even raise my hand to go use the bathroom. And that obviously over time started causing some actual physical problems, um, which wound me up in the hospital by the time I was 11 Jeez. in Johns Hopkins with like one of the worst cases they'd ever seen. So... I was just a ball of nerves and I've just always been that way. You know, that's just how I, I'm wound. So we got this letter from the school system that the middle school that I was going to be going into was doing an experimental curriculum where they were putting sixth, seventh and eighth graders in the same classroom and teaching them a generalized curriculum. So nothing that would be, you know, I would basically be taught the same things and an eighth grader would be taught. And it didn't make sense to either of us. Even at going into sixth grade, I was like, why would I be learning the same thing that an eighth grader would be learning? Or vice versa, why would an eighth grader want to, you know, relearn something so remedial as, you know, sixth grade math or whatever it may be? It didn't make a lot of sense to me. It didn't make a lot of sense to my family. Um, and then just knowing my, you know, disposition, they were like, I don't think this is a good idea. You know, you like you you struggle with being in a classroom with children your own age and that sort of peer pressure. Now they want to put you in a classroom with kids two grades higher than you. And they knew that I just wasn't going to thrive. So my mom made the decision to pull me out and homeschool me. And back in the day, we did not have a computer. We were obviously not a well-to-do family and computers really weren't a thing then. They weren't a thing until quite a few years later um, when we moved to a different house. So everything was booklet-based. Your curriculum would be parceled out into units and each unit was a booklet. And yeah. you would have like history and it would be a box set of all these little books and you would kind of work your way through it. And it was self-paced, you know, like the idea was that you would finish a lesson a day, you know, you could do more if you wanted, if you were really ambitious, or you could, you know, I guess, do less. It would just take you longer to get through that grade. Um, homeschooling was nice because it kind of took away all of that standardizing. Like you didn't have to finish a certain amount of a curriculum within 
what is that like eight months that you have schooling, nine months that you have schooling, Mm -hmm. you know, minus your summer break. Because of my situation and where I lived, I had a few friends that were just close friends. They were not school friends. They were just in my neighborhood. We belonged to a network. So you had like an umbrella network from your, mm-hmm. you know, you have your school system and then you detach from your school system and you have an umbrella network. And that's sort of the network that you were talking about. Like they would have the sports and they would have the this and they would have the that. And I was a soccer player for 12 years. And when we switched from regular traditional schooling into homeschooling, that was one of the things I was really afraid that I would lose. Yeah. But my parents made sure to kind of, you know, get me involved in that. <laughs> I don't want to sound demeaning in any way, but like homeschooling sports in the 90s was like Little Giants, if you recall that movie. Like Uh it was very like ragtag, just it was so bad. It was so Uh bad. I think I went to like two practices and I looked at my parents. I was like, no, no, you can't do this. I'm sorry. Um, And I mean, it came at a good time because I actually like I um, sprained my ankle like 12 times in that one season alone. So I was pretty busted. So that was the end of sort of my um, my sports career at the Mm. tender age of like 14. I was like, I can't do this anymore. And these people are weird playing in skirts and stuff. I will say this. Looking back in the moment, like it it never felt against the grain for me to be homeschooled. Mm-hmm. I've always been a homebody. I've always been overly anxious. I now classify with generalized anxiety disorder, which took me, you know, into my adult years to understand that I just don't thrive in large social environments. You know, I thrive in one-on-one, you know, encounters and conversations and things like that. And I do completely fine and I do very well in those sorts of environments. But if you're going to ask my brain to function and understand the square root of something when I'm in the midst of 35 people, it's just not going to happen. My brain is in fight or flight mode at that point, you know. Mm -hmm. So homeschooling was, I attribute a lot of my life success to being homeschooled. I didn't understand it at the time. It didn't feel like a punishment, but I always felt like the weird kid, you know, like I always got the jokes. Um, I've still to this day never been to a dance. I don't know what that's like. I don't know what a prom is like. So much. And I, I've been told that many times. And my husband has always asked me because he went through traditional education. I mean, he was private school, like private Catholic school. But like his girlfriends growing up, they were in public schools or, or whatever. And he's had all of those experiences, the parties and the proms and this and that. And he's asked me many times, especially prior to us making the decision to homeschool our kids. Well, don't you feel like you missed out on something? Mm-hmm. You know, sort of those social landmark moments where you dance and your prom and your first kiss and you're this and you're that. And I, it's just never, I've never felt I missed out on any of that. Mm-hmm. I felt that all of that stuff, when I looked at kids my age, I was like, ew, ew, David, why? Ew. <laughs> like, I just. Does he look back on it in a different way? It just seemed like a waste of time to me. Like, does he does he feel like he would really be missing a significant piece of his life if he had not had those experiences? I know we've had this conversation before. Um, I don't want to speak for him, but I do feel that a lot of his adolescent growth was in those interactions. Mm-hmm. And my husband also has, you know anxiety disorders and such, but his teenage, you know, impressionable years were very different than mine. It Mm -hmm. was all of the social gatherings um, to the point that 
it caused him to make really poor life decisions. I didn't, mm-hmm. I wasn't given the option to make those poor life decisions at that age, you know, like Perhaps. I was sort of cut off from everything. Yeah. Um, very siloed, which you were saying like about your friend, you know, you looked at him like, that sucks for you, you know? Um, when I looked at myself at that point in time in my life, no, I did not feel like I'm missing out on all this stuff. It was just what it was. I actually felt at an advantage because in the summertime, I got up in a normal time because my mother was home. She wasn't working. So, like, we were up at breakfast time. We weren't allowed mm-hmm. to sleep until noon, you know? Um, as teenagers. So I was up, I did my chores and I did schoolwork for two hours a day in the summertime hmm. because my friends were sleeping till noon. Right, right. Or they were away on vacation. So what I, what was I supposed to do? I was just sitting there in my house, like playing Sega yeah. Genesis, you know, doing a couple of lessons. All of that to say that because of that little extra time that I spent, I wound up graduating high school when I was 16 years old because I just trucked through it. Yeah, I didn't, you know, and it wasn't like it was upsetting my social calendar. I didn't really have one. You know, Mm -hmm. that's just my personality. No, I see how it would maybe be a little bit more difficult for a child that is extremely social. I was just not that kid, you know, so it worked out well for me and gave me a leg up. I started college when I was 16 years old. I started community college. I started as an English major. Um, Even in that day, you could have your parents sign off and you could attend. I was attending community college with people that were. 18, 19, 20, you know, um, versus now where I'm homeschooling my children and everything is online and we are, their generation is a much more social connected generation. Mm-hmm. We didn't have computers, let alone smartphones where now, you know, my kids are, you know, doing their lessons online and then having their phone in front of them and their friend can hit them up on house party or something, you know, to want to chat even though all of those kids respectively should be in their classes, you know, it's such a, it's such a connected generation that we didn't, we didn't have. Yeah. The good thing about my children, I could tailor it to them. That was really the biggest benefit to me. You know, my son is really, really good at math. My daughter loves art. So I can make them a well-rounded education, but I could concentrate heavily on those specific areas. Mm-hmm. So my son is doing computer programming. He's learning Japanese. Wow. He's always been a very tech sort of kid. So the, the computer programming and he's learning how to code on a very like remedial level, but it's still something that we kind of sneak into his education that he just enjoys. So, you know, maybe by the time he graduates, hey, you know, he could get an internship somewhere. That's cool, though. I've always kind of been interested in how that works out for, you know, you get to see now how adults that were doing homeschooling way back then are doing. Mm-hmm. And now, I mean, my God, like, I think that's part of the fear from us as older parents is we need to remind ourselves how different our kids are, how different society is, how different technology is. How I mean, the whole world is a different place. Yeah, the whole world is it is not even like even closely related to the '90s, early 2000s. Like the social cues are different. The you know the things that are acceptable are completely different. Like Mm -hmm. the way we 
speak, they speak is completely different than the way mm-hmm. I communicate. You know, um, it's a little mind blowing sometimes because I feel like I'm, I am a young, soon to be empty nester for lack of a better term, which I plan on, on writing a more in-depth blog post about because it's something I think about quite often is I am at the age where I'm still involved in technology. You know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm on Instagram, on Facebook, and I'm these groups and this and that and marketing and all that kind of stuff and blogging. And then I have children that are, I guess, would that be the generation, two generations behind me? I guess. No, mm-hmm. the generation behind me. They're Z. I'm a millennial. Is that the one behind me or is there one in between? Oh, are you millen- Yeah, you're a millennial. I don't say it with pride, but I am a millennial. Um, <laughs> it's not at the top of your resume. <laughs> it is not. My kids being, I guess, a generation or two removed, even that short period of time and both being sort of, um, we're all involved in technology. It is so different. It's like night and day. I mm-hmm. like, TikTok, all these, I just don't, I don't get them. I try mm-hmm. to be a hip parent or whatever. You, do, you texted me a TikTok today. It was an egg that was singing Busta Rhymes. <laughs> <laughs> it was a TikTok and you sent it via text. I did. And you put it up on your own social media. I did more than one technological thing. <laughs> My kids are light years ahead of me yeah it's pretty remarkable thinking about what they are going through what they are doing i mean even kids who are extremely social and used to going to school and used to being into sports and whatever right now what they're having to go through due to covid and making all these adjustments and Mm -hmm. how well so many of them are doing it i mean sure like they're bummed i mean let's not get that confused they are definitely missing seeing their friends and doing all of that i i can't paintbrush everybody with that i guess i'm sure there's some kid in wichita who does not miss his friends but that like, was me. for most of them oh yeah it was you <laughs> but for most of them they are definitely feeling that bummer of it i'm even my daughter was like Oh, we're starting school. Winter break is already over. I'm so excited to start school again tomorrow and mm-hmm. and see my friends on whatever and all of that. But how different this would have been if it was us. I mean, you're younger than I am, but like yeah. it would have been just impossible. Impossible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, essentially, I think similar to the time with Spanish flu, like in the 90s, 80s and 90s, like the world just would have shut down. Mm-hmm. We wouldn't have had the option to even do distance learning like so many of our students do, you know, and we prior to becoming homeschoolers, we distance learned from March until November. Mm-hmm. So we were in that crowd doing that whole thing and every school system handled it differently. Uh, my kids did not thrive in it. It just wasn't suited to them, you know, and I think that's sort of an individual thing and also parents what they can do not all parents are able to sit there and sort of you know um lay out a homeschooling structure i've been blessed you know that my job has allowed me a lot of autonomy to be able to take the time that i need as long as i get my work done Mm -hmm. so and all your experience with it as a homeschoolie as a homeschoolie yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i don't want it to sound like 2020 was like a great year for us but it was the perfect storm to kind of work out some of the things that I had wanted to do for a long time anyways. 
Mm-hmm. I'd wanted to kind of give my kids a personalized education and 2020 allowed me that, you know, to kind of prove to my job, like, Hey, I can still be extremely productive in my capacity and be at home with my children and mm-hmm. give them this, this other thing that I want to do. You know, it doesn't make me a less worker or me not get the things done that I need to get done. You know, um, that's not to say that some days are not extremely stressful. Mondays are really bad usually because, you know, everything's kind of hitting the fan at once, but we get through it. That's kind of our order in Mondays. I don't cook dinner that day because by five o'clock I am fried. Yeah. Well, it's good to hear the positives coming out of 2020 for you and the at least, let's not say excellence, but the goodness that does come out of it. and. The fact that you have a, not only are you married to Jason Momoa's <laughs> stunt double, <laughs> but you guys have a, a a great little family nucleus that is based on a lot of goodness and a lot of deep uh, love and things that are I think in all four of your wheelhouses, like you don't, there's nobody in your unit that is ostracized or is mm-hmm. completely mm-hmm. different than the others. You guys all have familiar footing between you. So that's a huge bonus. Yeah. I mean, there's some stuff like, you know, you start, <laughs> I think you're starting to maybe possibly get into this with your oldest now. Like they're starting to like things that are a little strange. You're like, mm-hmm. I just don't get it. You know, but, you know, you you take the time and you listen and mm-hmm, you like half listen, but you acknowledge that sort of thing. You know, I try to be more present and, and listen more. Their big thing right now is is anime, which just is not my cup of tea, you know, and but I try to support them in the fact that that is a form of art that they appreciate and they care mm-hmm. about and they like. So we've started like anime nights, which we do once a week. Mm. Uh, well, we sit down as a family and we will watch one episode of hers and then one episode of his and we'll pop some popcorn and, you know, they they feel like so excited because they're sharing this with us and they mm-hmm. it's something they love. And I'm just kind of like <laughs> trying to be. My son is really into One Piece. Which... Uh, I prefer a two piece myself, but yeah, sure. I mean. Whatever. He's young still, so he'll grow into it. Yeah, he'll world. grow into the two-piece thing eventually. That's so funny. Yeah. Um, okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close this out. Okay. <laughs> I was trying to think, I'm like, gonna, how much bourbon do I have left? I'm going to close it out. As we wrap this up, first and foremost, let me say thank you. A million times over for being the newest Rosado on the the newest and on, only other like the best is what you meant to say. Okay, <laughs> the best. <laughs> um, which I will say, some of you you can go to Jose's podcast that isn't continuing to be built, but go to the currently. Angry Millennial. Currently, oh yeah, we have actually talked about possibly bringing it back on a different sort of series basis. Yes. I love it. Yeah. Our first season, we did a hundred episodes, which was a little 
It was ridiculous. Good, good stuff, like good meat on those bones. Yeah. And in later episodes, it was the two of you. It was. Because a lot of the beginning was just like you would say something here and there, but for the most part, it was. But who wants to listen to him? People were really there for me. Let's be real. They were there for these golden vocal cords. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. You can get your, I'll, I'll tell, I'll let you tell everybody where they can come and get all of their fill of this version of Jess, like not the other one, the correct <laughs> version of you. The current version, the present yeah. version, not past Jess, not future Jess, present Jess. Yeah. Present Jess, you can find me at oddbirdout.com. Um, that is my new blog where I like to spit off some nonsense and truth about being a soon to be empty nester. Mm-hmm. Also on Instagram under the same handle, Odd Bird Out. Do you have a Facebook for that? I'm not on Facebook no, anymore. No, so. no, it's just my personal no. there. I'm just Jessica Rosado, and if you friend me, I won't accept. So yeah, not. and you don't need to go on there because <laughs> no. the Russians are just gonna do stuff to yeah. Odd Bird Out. Yeah, yeah. So I'm just you know the blog right now is sort of my main my main outlet. Um, did a big sort of 2020 recap the other day, some lessons learned as I kind of took stock of the year of things that I really didn't, so much happened in 2020. On a, I mean, global level, obviously, but on a personal level too. And I think when all, we all sort of sat back and were like, what are some of the things that we really learned this year or wrote them down, you know, or did intentions for the coming year? It was such, such a renaissance sort of year, I think, for a lot of people you know, mm-hmm. of having to slow down. And I think that was really important. There should be a lot of cool stuff coming out this year yeah. based on 2020. Yeah. Really like. Or even just the amount of time that people spent in their own heads. Let's get on the granular yeah. level. Like so many people spent time alone, you know, um, mm-hmm. spent time thinking and contemplating and creating because there wasn't a lot to do outside of our little bubbles, you know. Mm-hmm. Um I think there's going to be a lot moving forward that will, yes, while this year was absolutely horrendous on so many levels, I think the amount of creativity that are going to come out of people like us, you know, creatives that are just sitting at home wanting to do something, itching to do something um, moving forward is going to be really beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So go find Oddbird out, follow, subscribe. You have a mail newsletter? I do. Yeah. I haven't. So we just started it. I haven't released my first one yet, but I've been sort of mulling it over what I want, what sort of content I want to release out to people in that newsletter. But yeah, follow along and I'm sure I will get more into the nitty gritty of what it is like to be a young mom to a teenage boy and a teenage girl because things get real funky around here sometimes, man. Mm -hmm. Real funky. So find Oddbird out, do all the things. And um, keep an eye peeled. I will, you will be hearing more things down uh, the road via my stuff about Jess and things that will be coming out between the two of us. And uh, yeah. So thank you, Jess, for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Okay. There you have it. That is my entire conversation. Very (laughs) thoroughly edited. It was a lot longer than that, but I tried to make it a lot more consumable for all of you. So my thanks out of 
every section of my heart goes to Jess and to Jose and her family for allowing her to have that time to talk with me on that day. Jess Rosado, check her out at oddbirdout.com and also find her on Instagram. She's done so many things over the years. Her photography is amazing. Her design work is amazing. Just go and find her there and you can see all the different things that she does aside from just being a general massive creative person, but also one of the coolest people I know and one of my favorites that I met through the wonderful world of Flickr so many years ago. So I will do a really quick exit here. Believe it or not, I'm going to do a quick exit. So thanks you guys for listening. I really do appreciate it. Follow me on any of the social media places. That's Instagram, yes, Facebook, Twitter. Find me on all those places as Daddy Unscripted. You can send me an email at daddyunscripted at gmail.com. You can even follow me on Clubhouse. I think my Clubhouse and my TikTok might both be under the Tim Wheaton, which is my personal account on Twitter as well. You guys... I really appreciate all of your kind words, all of your support. I really, really do. I'm so excited to keep this going. I know that I have always wanted to be a lot more consistent and constant with episodes and all of that. It just has been a lot for me to be able to keep going and keep doing it. And I've tried to not just have conversations with everybody, you know? So I have been trying really hard to keep it interesting, keep it moving as well. And with these three different avenues of the podcast being the main one of Daddy Unscripted, we're here alone together. And now with Who Tells Your Story enabling me to have more conversations with more people, I really am trying to not just let it be an overflow and to continue to be true to the core value of myself and of this podcast, which is documenting important life stories of people going through their histories and finding ways to continue to inspire all of you who listen as well as myself and to learn lessons on how to be better people, how to enrich the world and our communities and our families and our friends as much as possible and to continue to spread human kindness and love and generosity and all of those good values of human kindness throughout the world as much as we all can. So I'm trying to continue to keep that going, you guys. Again, can't say thank you enough. Next episode should be out. Let's be reasonable. Like, I'm just going to say three weeks. That seems like a good target. So keep listening. Keep subscribing and sending more people to the podcast. You can leave a review. That is awesome. And maybe I will see you on social media as well. Have a great rest of your day and your week and be lovely to others. That's all we can ask, right? Be awesome to other people. 